Welcome to the Watershed Teaching Podcast. Watershed is the high school ministry of Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Perimeter Church is part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Watershed is a place where we hope high school students would connect, receive, and transform. We want to see students connect with God and others through healthy community, receive His truth through gospel-centered, grace-based teaching, and be transformed by the gospel to then go transform their world. Thank you for downloading this podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.perimeter.org slash watershed. Good to see you guys. Yes, I do still work here. So my name's Jeff, in case you didn't know. I do go to your breakfast club. And I am wearing a Broncos jersey. I know they're not in the playoffs, but I don't have a jersey of every team in the NFL, so... That's what I got. So we are in a series right now. We're talking uh, about a better way, right? We're talking about relationships, and we're looking through a lot of this through the life of David, okay? We're going to continue in that series, and today we're talking about something everybody loves, right? We're talking about what does it look like to confront someone who's in sin, to confront somebody in love, right? All of you do that regularly. You can't wait to mix it up and confront people. I know that's everybody's favorite thing. So we're going to talk about that today, though. And we're going to look at that in the life of, uh, of the way Nathan the prophet talked to David. Okay, so we're going to start there. Let me pray, and we'll jump into the lesson. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for Watershed. Thank you for uh, just another week, Lord, where we can come together and uh, look into your word. And so, Lord, we ask that you would teach us tonight by your word and by your spirit things that we can learn Uh, from the scriptures. And so, Lord, we love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So last week when Emilio was talking, if you recall, we talked about uh, Emilio, not Emilio, that'd be interesting, Emilio's relationship with Bathsheba. No, it was David's relationship with Bathsheba. And that's a very famous story. Um, If you're here and don't know that story and weren't here last week, to summarize, right, David was the king of Israel And as part of the king's job, he usually goes out to war in the seasons of war, but there was a season where he stayed home and he was kind of bored. He was hanging out on the couch. He gets up, he walks on the roof, he sees a gorgeous woman bathing on the roof uh, down, you know, down below his castle or his manor house or whatever he lived in, his big house. And he saw her, inquired about her, ended up having an affair with her. She got pregnant. And in order to cover it up, he tried to get her back with her husband. That didn't work out. And he ended up having him killed. So that's to summarize quickly what happened. Now, this story takes place a few months later. And it seems as if he's gotten away with, uh, with what happened. Right? Yeah, no one is complaining. Uh, he's brought Bathsheba into his castle, into his uh, life, and married her, taken her as a wife. And everything seems to be going great. And then we get to chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, and I'm going to summarize a lot of this because it's a long passage. So the Lord sent Nathan to David, and Nathan goes in, and he goes before the king, and the king is sitting on his throne. He's he's having court, right? And he goes up, and he starts to tell him this story, and he tells him a story that there was a certain rich man who had a lot of flocks and a lot of herds and just all kinds of sheep and very wealthy, and that there was another guy who lived close by, who, who didn't have hardly any money, but he had just enough to buy one little ewe lamb. 
and that he loved this lamb uh, like a child, like, his, like a daughter almost. He would feed it and hold it in his arms and feed it from his own table. And he would sleep, you know, take a nap with it. I mean, he was like this lamb was just, was just like a, you know, a family member, just so precious to him and tender. And his kids would play with it. And, you know, and then the rich man has a friend come over who visits someone who's traveling. And in that culture, it was very popular that if someone came, you would, you would need to lay out a big meal for him. And so he didn't want to kill one of his own sheep. So he took the sheep from the poor man, slaughtered it. And fed it to his guest. Now, what do you think David's response was when he heard this story? It says, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, this man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. It's like the most awesome confrontation like in the Bible. I love it. I love this story. It reminds me of this. Maybe you've seen this. There it is. All right. There's David. As the Lord lives, this man deserves to die. Nope, you are the man. Right? He totally confronts him. He totally calls him out. Now, God, God then said through Nathan, he said, I have given you everything and I would have given you even more if you had but asked. That, so he's, Dave, God's saying, I give you everything. I would, have, I would have done even more. All you had to do was ask. Instead of taking this guy's wife, instead of entering into this thing and committing this sin that you didn't have to, to enter into. So I have to ask, though, when I, when I read this story, that God had to send a prophet, right? He sends this prophet to confront the king, and that happens throughout the Old Testament. But what if one of David's friends had been a true friend and confronted him so that Nathan wouldn't have had to do it. Do you think other people knew? Is it possible? Maybe only the servants knew what had taken place. But in a small town, you know, he sent servants out to get her. She came to the palace. Servants talk, right? You had to know that probably some of his closest friends knew what had happened with Bathsheba. Why didn't they confront him? Maybe it's because he's the king. I mean, he already killed one person to cover up what he did. Uh, it could have been completely out of fear. Um, maybe, they, maybe they were unaware. Uh, but the, the consequences that happened as a result of what took place were devastating. I mean, first off, the child dies. That was one of the punishments, is the child that he and Bathsheba had conceived died. And then just even thinking about who Uriah was, you know, we don't know that much about Uriah, the Hittite, who was the husband. But did you know, if you keep reading on in, in 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles, there's a group of guys that hung out with David called David's Mighty Men. Have you ever heard of them? David's, you should look them up. They're pretty awesome. These guys that hung out, yeah, you know, they, they had leather jackets that said David's Mighty Men. That, they're, they're, they're a group of guys, and when you read the stories of the things that they did in battle, it's unbelievable. Um, they would, you know, one guy would like defeat 3,000 people in a field by himself. You know, like they, were, they were, did incredible things. One of them killed Goliath's brother. Um, one of them killed a lion by hand. And they, they name all these things and go through who they all were. And they did amazing, incredible things. And they were super, super loyal to David. And there's only about 30 of them. And when you read the list of David's mighty men, guess who number 30 is? Uriah the Hittite. 
This guy that David had killed wasn't just some stranger. He wasn't just some random guy. This was a guy who had been with David for a long time and had done amazing things. And his name was listed in like the book of heroes. That's how important he was. And David had him killed. And what happened to David's family as a result of this? Two of his sons ended up killing two of his other sons. And his daughter ended up getting raped by one of his sons. The devastation and the sexual brokenness that took place in David's household as a punishment for what David did with Bathsheba was pretty severe and pretty serious. And so you can't help but think, couldn't somebody have come and confronted him? You know, we, we see this in, in Scripture that we're supposed to be calling each other to a higher level. We're supposed to confront each other and say, hey, I see this in your life. Something's going on. You're heading down this path. And we're supposed to intervene for each other out of love. We see an example of this in the early church. Paul uh, confronts Peter. He was hanging out um, in Antioch with a bunch of new believers that were Gentile believers. And Peter was hanging out with them and eating with them and everything. And back then, you know, the dietary laws were pretty serious. And and God had already abrogated or stopped all the dietary laws um, and said that those did not, were not in effect anymore. And so Peter was mixing it up with the Gentiles. And then a group of Jewish believers came from Jerusalem to visit, and Peter immediately separated himself and was like, well, I don't hang out with those guys because they're Gentiles. I don't eat with them because they're unclean. And he started kind of getting into old habits. And Paul calls him out in front of everybody. He's like, you can't do this. You know, this is not the way that we operate now. You were friends with these guys last week, and now these, these guys that are Jewish are here. And immediately you can see what kind of racial divide that would have caused in the early church if that had been allowed to stand. But Paul confronted him. He went right at the problem, and he called him out in front of everybody. If you, being a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He confronts him in front of everybody. Peter repents. And the church continues to grow and thrive. So why don't we confront those in the church? Since we know that it's biblical. You know, I wonder if this has something to do with American individualism. Each one of us looks at, we don't think of our faith as like, oh yeah, we're all part of one thing. We, we tend to be so individualistic in the way that we look. Well, it's my faith and that's how you operate in your faith. And we don't, we don't necessarily want to get in each other's business. But this isn't the way we see it operating in scripture. I also think we fear... Uh, we fear being judgmental, right? That's like the the worst sin in America right now is that I might be perceived as judgmental or maybe I need to get the plank out of my own eye before I can talk about the speck in your eye, right? That's in scripture. And doesn't scripture say we shouldn't actually judge other people? Um, I think we also want to avoid conflict. None of us want to confront somebody and say, hey, I'm seeing this. You know, we're worried what they're going to say about us. What are they going to think about us? Maybe Maybe it'll start a fight, or maybe we'll put that friendship on the line and we might lose it. Okay, all of these things are possible, and I think that keeps us from doing it. But look at what, look at what 1 Corinthians 5 has to say about judging others, and this might shed some light. Paul said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning sexually immoral people of the world, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate anyone who bears the name of a brother 
if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, do not even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil from among you. So what is he saying here? I mean, it's pretty obvious. He's, you know, he's coming right out and saying, hey, I told you not to hang out with people who are sexually immoral. And then he, he goes through a whole bunch of other different things, right? A bunch of other sins. But then he points out, you know what? I'm not talking about people in the world who are sexually immoral or any names, a whole bunch of sins again. He says, then you'd have to leave the world. Think about it. He says, we don't judge those outside the church. That's God's job. Our job is to focus on those that are inside the church, okay? And, and think about that. We're perceived exactly the opposite way by the world that we live in. Okay, if you go talk to people about Christians, Christianity, what would they say? Christians are so judgmental. They're always looking and, and you know, pointing fingers and trying to kind of put their morality on us. We shouldn't do that. I sh- you should not be surprised when the people you hang out with, whatever they're involved with, okay, if they don't know the Lord, they don't have, they don't believe the same things that we do. So why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't you live with your girlfriend or your boyfriend if you're not a believer? It makes sense. Why wouldn't you smoke weed or get drunk on the weekends or whatever? You know, put, fill in the blank. Why wouldn't you do that? If there's no reason not to, there's no standard of morality, there's nothing to keep you from doing that. So we should not be judging those outside the church. But those inside the church are a part of our body. We belong to each other. Okay? And that's the Bible is also clear on. So love confronts. We're not supposed to judge those outside the church but we're supposed to judge inside the church. Um, snitches get stitches, right? <laughs> but that's not supposed to be the way it is inside the church. We are supposed to confront each other here in this place. We're part of one body. Uh, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about that. It uses this illustration. It says that we're all the body, and like the foot shouldn't say to the hand, I don't care what happens to you, because the body is connected And each one of us are connected to each other. Look to your right and to your left, okay? Those people, if they're sitting, that are sitting next to you, if they, they are part of the body. If you're a believer and they're a believer, you guys are part of the same body. What they do affects you and what you do affects them. In fact, in that same passage, it says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. And I will tell you this, if one member is is in sin, and broken, it, it affects the whole body. It does. And we're supposed to call each other out and confront in love. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one to lift him up. If two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him a threefold cord is not quickly broken i love this passage and it says woe to him who is alone and i want to tell you the scripture says the devil prowls around like a like a lion seeking someone to devour and when you are alone in that battle you are more susceptible we need each other we need people who will come alongside of us and say hey i am in this with you Two of us against an adversary can withstand it. Three of us for sure can. We need each other, and we need to let each other into what's going on in our lives, and we need to call each other 
out. Um, often when I see someone who falls into a serious sin, they've separated themselves from their friend group. And I'll tell you, right now, if you're like, hey, so-and-so, we just don't ever see them around anymore, what's going on with them, call them, text them, find out what's happening, because I guarantee you are more susceptible to something seriously happening in your life that you normally wouldn't do when you're alone. And sometimes when you want to do something like that, you start to naturally separate yourself from your friends who you know might confront you. And so we need to take this seriously. We don't We don't confront our friends because we think we're better. We confront because we're called to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay? We we confront because of that. How much stronger would the church be if we all called each other out? If we all kind of stood in the gap with one another and said, hey, I'm here for you. And I, I love you too much to let you continue down the path that you're heading down. And how should you receive this confrontation? After this talk, if one of you this next week, somebody who's sitting near you or one of your friends comes up to you and says, hey, we need to talk about something. You need to check your own heart and say, how do you receive that when somebody confronts you? Do we just immediately jump to get defensive? Or like David, do we say, you know what? It's against God and him only that I've sinned. And I'm so thankful for my friends You know, the amazing thing about the way Nathan confronted David is David received it. He knew that he was doing what was wrong. And when a friend calls you out, sometimes it's you're relieved that someone's actually coming alongside you and helping you in that moment. And you say, yes, I am doing this. Thank you for noticing. I'm sorry. And and they can be the one that's pulling you out of the fire almost in that instance. And so he and Nathan actually became friends and became close after this. Do you know, Nathan was the prophet who anointed his son Solomon to be the next king. And some of Nathan's, Nathan's children ended up being major players in the court of Solomon's court. And one of his sons was Solomon's closest friend or one of his closest friends. And so he continues to play a part because he confronted his friend in love. So a lot of how we're received when we confront somebody has to do with our attitude. Are we confronting in love and in humility? When we do that, when we approach somebody in love and in humility, I think there's a much better chance that it's going to be received well. After all, we're all just sinners saved by grace. Because at the end of time, and I'm going to close with this, at the end of time, when you and I stand before the throne of God, you know, I don't know if Satan the accuser is going to be there like he was with Job But if he is, he's going to be pointing at us just like that meme and saying, you're the man and you deserve to die. You deserve death for what you've done. And you know what? If he pointed at me and he points at you and he says that we deserve to die because of what we've done, he would be correct. Because the sin in our life is that serious. And we do deserve eternal damnation because of it. But then Jesus, praise God, right? He steps in front and he says, you know what? I'm the man. I will take that. I will take that on me so that you and I don't have to suffer the death that we deserve. And he will, because we're in that same boat with whoever it is you're confronting, we're not coming from a superior position. We're coming to them as someone else who deserves to be condemned but is forgiven. All right, so let's move forward together 
and confront each other in love. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this example that we have, Lord, of, of Nathan and David and the way that David even responded in repentance is so unbelievable. God, that he could look at his sin and so completely uh, surrender himself to what you had for him, even in, in being punished and the, the consequences of his sin. And Lord, uh, he, he responded in humility. And so I pray that you would give us the strength to do that as well. Help us to have the courage to confront each other in love when we see a brother or sister who's heading down the wrong path, that we might uh, be a friend to them who's willing to climb in the pit with them and help them get out. Lord, uh, we love you. Thank you again for Watershed. Help us to be a community that is like that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, that, I think that's such a powerful message, and, and there's, a, there's a modern day reality of that. If, if you didn't know, this weekend is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, and that is a story of a guy who confronted a system, and such good transformation came from that, that kind of that, that mess that was happening. He confronted the system, and so much of what the world is in America right now is different because of one man surrounding himself with the people who stood up against the system. So I 100% appreciate what Jeff was saying, and I think health comes when we do that. So remember what this weekend is about as we kind of like enjoy tomorrow, a free day of school and stuff.